Now, I'm gonna say from the top, just so you can get ready, um, we're gonna have to go fast today. Like, there's been a lot of stuff added to today's church service that we don't normally have. I normally preach longer than I should, so I want you to know I'm gonna try to go fast. We have a message today that I believe um, is both very, very practical and can be very, very powerful. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 23. Dig your notes out, um, get ready to take notes. If you don't have a Bible, everything I read on the screen uh, will be on the screen behind me, so it will be super easy to follow along. If you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app. It's a free app that makes it really easy to follow along in the Bible for all the moms and grandmas in the room. Happy Mother's Day to you. Thank you for being here. I hope you feel loved and celebrated today. And for those of you who have been forced to be in church today by your mother or your grandma, we just want to acknowledge you and let you know that we'll go as quickly as we can. So this will be quick and painless for you. We've been in a series at Journey called King Jesus. We've been studying three chapters of New Testament scripture, Matthew 21, 22, and 23, that help us understand what we need to know about Jesus' leadership in order to make him king in our lives. And we're going to start today with a word, and then we're going to pause, and we're going to talk about what comes before that word, because Matthew 23, 1 begins with the word, then. Someone say, then. There are some times in scripture where a word is a word, and it's just a word, and there are other times in scripture where a word has so much information behind it that you have to stop and talk about what has happened first. This is one of those times. Then, the word then comes after 70 verses of discussion and spiritual challenges in one long conversation that Jesus has been having, and now Jesus is gonna have the final word. This discussion started in Matthew 21, verse 23. It ended in Matthew 22, 46, and it consisted of the religious leaders of Jesus' day challenging him with questions, five questions from five different groups of people. First group came to him and said, who has given you authority to act like this, teach like this, say the things you're saying? Jesus said, God has. Second group came to him and said, um, hey, should we as Israeli citizens pay taxes to the Roman Empire or not? Israel was founded as a theocracy. God was supposed to be their king and their only king. They were not only now not a theocracy, they were a territory. And they wanted to know as Israeli people, can we pay taxes to the Roman Empire but still only worship God as being over our country? And God said, give the things. That, if you get your money from Caesar, if he provides the economy, pay your taxes to Caesar. But whatever is made in the image of God should live their life serving God. So serve God with your life. Somebody else came up to him and said, um, hey, if you're married more than once on earth and then you all die and go, Go to heaven, which one will you be married to in heaven? They didn't ask the question, do you get your favorite wife? But I think that's a thought like they had behind it. It was like first one or second one. Um, like um, Jesus, like, no, eternity's not like here and now. Um, people aren't married, people aren't given in marriage. Uh, basically, our deepest connection is to Jesus, and we'll have enough spiritual family that marriage and life won't be like we have had it here. Someone else would ask him after that conversation, was there even really an afterlife? Like, do things really die after they live? And Jesus said, yes, God promises it, and he will prove it in just a few days when I go to the cross and die and then resurrect on the back end of that. And then someone came and said, what's the greatest spiritual commandment? And Jesus said, love God and love people. This is how God would want you to live your life in a way that would honor him. And after he answered all of their questions and no one had any more questions, Jesus said, now I wanna know what do you think about me? Am I the savior of the world or not? And it said in Matthew twenty two forty six that no one could answer his questions, so no one asked him any more questions. 
the no ones represented the cultural spiritual leaders of Israel. They had different names. They didn't necessarily like each other or work together. They were all politicking for spiritual power in Israel. They had all come to Jesus with a question. He had shut all of them down and now he was ready to speak to them. The chief priests, the elders, Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, teachers of the law, all had different roles and objectives in Israel 2,000 years ago. And you need to understand going into Matthew 23, Jesus is getting ready to tell them off for an entire chapter. Like that's what's getting ready to happen. Then after they got their chance to speak, Jesus got his chance to speak and he's going to unload. But before he does that, he's gonna just kind of summarize what an unhealthy spiritual leader looks like and what a healthy spiritual leader looks like. In doing so, he's gonna help us understand what an unhealthy spiritual faith walk looks like and what a healthy spiritual faith walk looks like. He's gonna do this for his followers 2,000 years ago so they know how to lead well and how to live well, but watch this. He's gonna do it for us. So we know how to lead well and how to live well. So this message is for Jesus followers 2,000 years ago, and this message is for Jesus followers today. However, I believe the most important crowd this message is for is anyone who desires to have any type of spiritual leadership or influence today. Jesus will tell us, here's how you get it wrong, and here's how you get it right as we get into the text. Now, Danielle and I were taking a walk last night and she asked me a question that wasn't really a question. It was a statement. I'm not even sure it ended with a question mark, but the question went something like this. You are preaching about mothers tomorrow, right? Um, so there may have been a question mark. There may have been an exclamation point, but it felt like a statement. You are preaching about mothers tomorrow, right? And I said, well, um, I'm preaching about Christians and I'm preaching about spiritual leaders, um, but probably I'm certainly preaching to mothers because I think probably the first spiritual leader that almost everyone has is their mom. So yeah, I think I am preaching to mothers and grandmothers about their either healthy or unhealthy spiritual influence on their families. The poet William Ross Wallace, speaking of mothers, said, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. So it's important for moms to be good spiritual leaders. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, said, all I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother, so it's probably important for mothers to raise a healthy generation of leaders. I love John Maxwell, the leadership guru's quote, a mother is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. We, by the way, will end this message with this quote in a context maybe you've not heard before, but I think is very, very important specifically for moms and for grandmas. But we're gonna start today trying to understand spiritual living and spiritual leadership. What's unhealthy, what's healthy, I wanna say this up front, this message felt too practical at the first service. Like I preached it and thought, that's just a message of lists. But as I talk to people, they're like, no, it was a, it's a good list, two good lists that helped me understand where I am and where I need to move forward. So we're gonna start number one with unhealthy spiritual leaders. We're gonna read verses one through seven. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You might circle those two words, Moses' seat. So it's a pretty cool word that you still hear in the original language. Verse three, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. 
They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces. They love to be called rabbi by others. So we're going to start this long rebuke of the cultural spiritual leaders in Israel with a picture of unhealthy spiritual leaders and a picture of unhealthy spiritual living. And I'm just going to show you the five things that Jesus just said, just going to try to make a list for you. We're going to see five traits of unhealthy spiritual leadership, which are also five traits of an unhealthy spiritual faith walk. And then I'll let you take a test at the end of this point to see where you are. Whether you're leading spiritually or just trying to live spiritually, this is a really good list to be aware of and to avoid. What are the traits of unhealthy people spiritually? Trait number one, my spiritual talk is better than my spiritual walk. Can I get an amen? Some of you said amen, but you did not live that way this week. Your talk is far greater than your walk. You know what I'm saying? Like all of us know somebody like this. Some of us are somebody like this. This is a bad trait and I just tricked you. I'm sorry. Um, we'll pray for me and you at the end. My spiritual talk, better than my spiritual walk. My, uh, my football coach in college was an old Italian guy named Sam Ritigliano. He had been the head coach of the NFL, uh, NFL's Cleveland Browns for a little bit. And he had hundreds of little one-line sayings that he used to always say to the team. And one of his favorite was this, don't talk about it, be about it. He would always say that to the team, don't talk about it, be about it. And then he would say this, I'm from Missouri, you gotta show me. At the time I thought, I thought you're from New York. Um, like I didn't understand the Missouri thing because I'm from Ohio, but it, I got that eventually too. Don't talk about it, be about it. Man, you're just giving lip service. Jesus here is saying, unhealthy people spiritually, they talk about it, but they are not about it. And they, they talk about it, but they're not showing people anything. Jesus would say, you need to listen to those who are in Moses' seat. In the Greek translation, it's the word cathedra with a K. It's the word we get cathedral from. A cathedral is supposed to be, it, it represented a seat, but a cathedral is a place you're supposed to go to hear the word of God taught. That's what the original word means in the original languages. For those of you who are Catholic, when the Pope speaks on a spiritual matter, they say he speaks from ex cathedra. He speaks from the seat of authority. We've even carried this into secular education. For those of you um, who go to a college, probably the department that you study in has a chair of philosophy, a chair of theology. That's, what, that's cathedra. That, that is the seat of authority. Jesus said, these teachers, they know what they're talking about. They just don't do what they tell you to do. They know what to do. They tell others what to, they should do, but they don't always do it. Don't be like that. Don't talk about it without being about it. Trait number two, he said, unhealthy people spiritually, they take more than they give. Spiritually unhealthy people, um, they receive, but they don't give. We know Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Spiritual and healthy people think the exact opposite. Jesus said, beware of these teachers because they load up burdens on you, but they aren't willing in any way to remove those or even help you carry those. What Jesus was saying is they, they load you up with the burden of religion. They tell you how far you are from God and they burden you with all these rules you have to you have to learn and follow to get to God, but they don't do anything for the big gap that exists. Jesus said, I've come to tell you that you are disconnected from God, but unlike them, I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to help. Jesus says, it does no good to tell people how sinful they are if you do not tell them the cure for sin. And people who show up to take and take and take and take from Jesus 
but then they don't give anything that Jesus is giving them away to other people are really spiritually unhealthy. People who demand that you live for God while they live for themselves, Jesus said, those are unhealthy people. Trait number three, people who want credit for their righteousness. Jesus said, beware of these people. They, they would make their phylacteries wide and they will make their tassels long. Now, those of you who have been raised around in Orthodox Jewish community, you already know the picture of this. For those of you who have not, let me show you a picture of what Jesus is talking about. And for those of you who will travel to Israel with me, you'll see this in Newark. Um, phylacteries were a leather box that would go on your forehead and would go on your left bicep that held scripture. The one on your forehead would hold four different scrolls, two from the book of Exodus and two from, uh, one, and two from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, they would hold the scrolls that said this. In Exodus chapter 13, God said, when you're celebrating um, the feast of the unleavened bread, he said, you ought to celebrate it in such a way that it would be like you had it written on your forehead. Everyone knows what you're doing. Well, they actually took it and thought, we'll, we'll actually put that scripture right on our forehead. In Deuteronomy chapter six, where God says, write the words on your head and keep them on your arm and put them on the gates of your house. They would put that, um, they put that in a box on their forehead they would tie it together with a strap all the way around their arm, down to their fingers. And during their prayer time, this is how they would pray. Now listen, Jesus would have had these and worn these. It's just traditional Orthodox Judaism. Jesus and his disciples during their prayer time probably would have worn these and prayed this way. You see them all over Israel, but the really spiritual guys in Jesus' day never took theirs off. They also had tassels. So our Jewish friends will wear their prayer shawl and Jesus would tell the people in Numbers chapter 15 that they should put tassels on the edge of their garments because that would remind them to pray. But Jesus said, there's some people, you put your tassels on your garments, not so you will see them and remember to pray, but so that people will see you and say, they must pray. Jesus, like your whole thing is a show. Like what I have given you to remind you and connect you to the God of heaven you're really doing for other people, you're not doing for God at all. You have a desire for people to see the objects of your faith, even though you're not really obedient in any way in your faith. That's unhealthy spiritually. Trait number four, somebody who ultimately serves for position, not purpose. Jesus said, beware of people who are doing things so they can sit in certain seats in certain rooms, because those people are unhealthy spiritually. So I went to school at Liberty University in Virginia. Danielle and I attended a church there for two years. It was a church I went to every Sunday for four years. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I, can, I can't remember what the lead pastor of that church ever said. I don't know what that says for me and for you, but uh, hope, hopefully, hopefully not what I think it means. Um, <laughs> the two pastors I remember were both guest speakers. The first pastor who ever stood in the pulpit and preached my first Sunday of college uh, was a pastor from Dallas, Texas by the name of Tony Evans. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, his son Anthony and I enrolled at Liberty together and our first two years were almost in all the same ministry classes. So my very first Sunday at Liberty University, Dr. Tony Evans preached in the pulpit at Thomas Road Baptist Church and it was amazing, unforgettable, I'll never forget it. Have been a fan and a follower um, and a devourer of his content and information ever since. The other guy I remember, believe it or not, was a pastor who'd become the governor of Arkansas by the name of Mike Huckabee. In the first year he was a governor, he came and spoke at Liberty, he stayed, and he spoke Sunday morning. And I don't remember what he preached about, but I remember one illustration that he had. 
he talked about spiritual motivation and he said, normally the reason people quit something is the reason they started doing it in the first place. And he gave an illustration about a lady in his church who joined the choir and after a year of singing in the choir, went to the choir director and said, I really want to sing a solo on the stage before the church. And he said, we've already got people who do that. I don't think you're really going to end up doing that. Um, and he said, she quit the choir. So he asked to have a meeting with her. And he said, I just have to know, did you only join the choir so that you could sing a solo on the stage? Because normally the reason you quit doing something is the reason you started doing it in the first place. If you find yourself serving and in the back of your head, you've got a clock that if you don't get this position by this time, you're going to quit. You're spiritually unhealthy. A lot of us start reading our Bible in a year, not because we want to read our Bible, but because we think it'll bring us some kind of spiritual luck. A lot of us will begin praying, not because we want to spend time talking to God, but because we have something desperate that we need in our life. And we all have this like imaginary faith clock in our head that when what we're really striving for, when it doesn't happen, we decide to walk away. And I'll never forget then Governor Huckabee saying, usually the reason you quit reveals the reason that you started. And a lot of times it reveals that the motive of your heart might be unhealthy. Trait number five, I desire and demand respect for my effort, and I would add here spiritual effort. Jesus said, beware of the people who in every situation they're in, they want to be respected, and they wanted to be treated with tremendous regard. He used the word they love to be treated with respect, but the better word there is they long for. They literally walk into every environment longing for someone to show them respect and regard as somebody who's really, really important. I love John Maxwell's note on this about spiritual leadership. He said, true leaders always declare themselves without making announcements. It just becomes obvious. You don't have to walk into a meeting and demand respect. If God has called you and gifted you for, for leadership, it'll happen. Jesus said it far more bluntly as he often did. He said, when you serve God, serve God with zero expectations. Just be grateful for the opportunity. Here's a story he told. He said, followers of Jesus should serve God this way. Luke 17, seven through 10, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come on now and have, eat, have dinner? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you can get something to eat and drink for yourself. Will he thank the servant because of what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we're unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. Jesus said, healthy people spiritually aren't waiting at the end of their ministry for God or anyone else to say thank you. They're just grateful they were able to serve God. And what if nobody recognizes it? God does, and they were just grateful they were able to serve God. Unhealthy people are always looking for recognition and respect for what they do. Healthy spiritual leaders are just gonna say, I'm just, I'm just grateful that God invited me into his kingdom and would use me in any way in his kingdom. Now, when I was in elementary school, um, and probably most of you under the age of 40 have no clue what I'm getting ready to talk about, because um, we use stuff like pencils and paper and like crazy stuff from the, from the olden days. Um, but if you were in elementary school and you wanted someone to be your boyfriend or girlfriend or maybe to hang out on recess or to play on the swings with you, you'd pass them a note and you would say, hey, like, do you want to go out? I'm not sure what that meant, because you really weren't allowed to go out. But you'd say, hey, do you want to go out? And you would put circle... 
yes or no. And you put those words there and you'd hope they'd circle one and they pass it back to you and you pray that you didn't have the teacher who took it from you and read it in front of the whole class and then put it on the boards. All of us had teachers like that. I pray they're all retired by now. But like you, like old folks will know what I'm talking about. We're gonna play that game right now because I put on your sermon notes a spiritual pulse check. Circle yes or no. Here's what you need to know. As I look at my life, I have far too many bad days where I answer yes to all of these. As I look at my life, I don't have nearly enough good days where the answer is no, because I am a broken human being trying to become a better servant of Jesus who doesn't care about anything but Jesus, but I'm not there yet. How about you? Trait number one, my spiritual talk is better than my spiritual walk, yes or no? I have some days that that's a yes for me. Trait number two, spiritually I take more than I give. I have more days than I would like to admit where that's a yes for me. Trait number three, I want credit for my righteousness. I wish I could say I never answer yes to this question, but I don't think that would be true. Trait number four, I ultimately serve for position, not purpose. I think God over the last 12 years has probably broken me the most in that area as he has created journey into something that I would have never chosen had I been in charge of it for myself. Trait number five, I desire and demand respect for my effort. I need it to be seen, I need it to be known, I need it to be respected. Folks, I don't give you that list to make you feel bad. I give you that list because Jesus gave me that list and said, Christian, like, watch, watch yourself here because this is where you're gonna drift. Spiritual leadership that is about anything but Jesus is gonna, it's gonna drift here. Jesus gave us this list not to condemn us, but to free us from having to live this way spiritually. It's a lot of weeks, I got a lot of yeses. There are some moments that I have some no's, but I hear Jesus warning, I don't wanna be an unhealthy Christian and I don't wanna be an unhealthy spiritual leadership. What have you heard? What are you learning about yourself? Jesus said, don't be like that. Be better. So what does better look like? Good question. Let's read verses 8 through 12. There's only three in the next list, so we'll go faster. He said, you are not to be called rabbi. Remember, the other guys wanted to be called rabbi. They want to respect. You are not to be called rabbi. Circle the word rabbi, by the way, if you have your Bible. He's going to give us three words that all, um, that all represent Jesus in a different way. You're not called to be rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And don't call anyone on earth father, circle the word father, for you have one father and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, circle the word instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we've seen five traits of unhealthy spiritual leadership. Now Jesus is gonna give us three traits of healthy spiritual leadership. And let me say, um, let me say what I said about unhealthy spiritual leadership. This list was given to Jesus' followers 2,000 years ago and Jesus' followers today, but mostly it's given for people who wanna have spiritual influence. Mostly it's given for people who are leaders, who wanna be spiritual leaders. What are the traits of healthy spiritual leadership? What are the traits of a healthy spiritual faith walk? Trait number one, Jesus is your king. Jesus said, you got one teacher, one father, one instructor, and that's me. Jesus is your king. He gives us three words to describe his role as king, rabbi, father, instructor. 
Rabbi would be our source of spiritual truth. Father, our source of spiritual life. Instructor, our only spiritual example. Jesus said, you have received your truth, not from one another. Listen closely, let me, let me say this. Jesus said, you have not received your truth from a normal source. You've received it supernaturally. You have one rabbi. God has revealed his truth to you. We started our Bible reading journey this year in the book of Job, kind of a depressing book to start an inspirational year with, but halfway through it, Job and his friends are trying to figure out spiritual, spiritual truth apart from spirit, the spiritual revelation of scripture. And Job says in Job 28, 28, um, the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. And to turn from evil, that's understanding. You say, what does that mean? Because it says it several times in Proverbs too. The fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom. It means this. You cannot begin to be wise until you realize this. There is a God and it's not me. There is a God, it's not me. And if he's created me, then he's got to want me to know something about him, so I better find out what that is. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. That begins with a thought. Okay, there's a God, it's not me, but if he created me, he wants to show me something, so I got to go figure out where God's source truth is. I don't know that anyone can become a follower of Jesus, let me say this, or of any religion, until they have this shift in their mind where they think, I do not know everything about everything. Somebody knows more, so I'm going to figure out what they say, and I'm going to follow them. You don't find Jesus. You don't find Buddha. You don't find Muhammad. You don't find Judaism. You, you do not even look for a source of supernatural truth until you've been through Job 28, 28. There has to be a God. It's not me. So I guess I better figure out who he is and what he wants. That's where the spiritual journey has to become. With a worldview shift towards like higher power authority. I have no problem discussing and debating spiritual truth with people as long as they first reveal to me their source of spiritual truth. When someone says, hey, I got a question about so-and-so, what do you believe? I'll always say this. I not only will tell you what I believe, but why I believe it, but I need you to tell me what you believe and why you believe it. And if there is no supernatural source behind your truth, then it is pointless for us to have this discussion because you're not gonna convince me of anything that's different from what Jesus said because he not only died and came back to life, he called his shot and it appears to me that he's supernatural and his truth counts to me more than yours does because like you're just a guy, you're just a girl. So Jesus said you got one rabbi and you have to find your source of spiritual truth. At some point you have the humility to say, I don't know everything about everything so I guess I'm gonna find out someone who does and I'm with them. I've studied most of the religions of the world. I'm still with Jesus because I don't know everything about everything. And to me, he's proven to be the most supernatural of people giving moral truth, uh, giving absolute truth. I'm going to follow Jesus. We started this year on a Bible reading plan that many of you did good on for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. And then like life happened. And some of you started reading your Bible through this year and then kind of backed off the next three weeks we're inviting people back into that process. Today at the Connection Center, we get some Bibles and journals laid out. For those of you who say, I think I'd do better in a group inside your uh, bulletin you were handed is a way to connect starting in June 1 um, to a Bible reading group. Even if you missed all of May, even if you miss all of April, even if you miss all of March, if you start June 1 reading your Bible, for many of you, it'll be the best Bible reading year of your life. Keep pursuing 
the rabbi's source of spiritual truth. He also says that you only have one father. As a father, God is the source of our spiritual life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, reminding the Jewish people of the manna that fell in the Exodus that sustained them for 40 years. Jesus said, I am the living water, reminding people that God brought water from the rock where there was no life in the desert. God brought the people life. As the source of spiritual life, we know that the word of God and the work of God and the church of Jesus brings life. In yesterday's reading, we read where King David's infant son, probably less than a year old, if not less than a month old, died. And we read that on the day he died, David got up and went to church because he said, the only thing my heart needs is a connection to the source of life. All of us are gonna walk through dark moments of death and destruction and discouragement It's why we run to Jesus. It's why we come to church on Sunday. It's why we do first Wednesday prayer. It's why we read our Bible. Jesus said, there's only one real source of life and it's me. And he said, you only have one instructor. There's only one spiritual example. And Jesus said, it's me. The greatest pastor of the first century would reiterate this in 1 Corinthians 11.1 where he told the church of Corinth, follow my example, but only when I act like Jesus. Like, follow my example, but only as I follow his example, because he is the one that you need to be following. How closely did Paul follow Jesus? Look at this in Philippians 4, 9. Paul told the church in Philippi, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Can I ask you a question? This week, if people would have watched a reel of your life all day, every day, would they have seen Jesus so they could have put it into practice? This week, if people would have heard every conversation, seen every text thread, seen all the social media post, whatever they heard from you this week, could they have done because it's what Jesus would have done? When you give people advice or wisdom or you lean into people, are you giving them Jesus stuff, source of life rabbi stuff, or are you giving them your stuff? Paul said, here's what I know about my life. What you see in me, what you hear from me, what you receive from me, it's all the stuff Jesus has done for me. So the Jesus stuff do. In John chapter 14, one of Jesus' disciples said, if you'll just show us God, the Father will be good. And Jesus said to Philip, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Let me kind of fast forward 2,000 years with that verse to Christians. I think Jesus, when he sent his Holy Spirit upon his followers, intended for Christians in Lee Summit, Missouri, in May of 2023, to be able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. If you've seen how I react when people disappoint me, you know how Jesus would react. If you've seen how I serve the community, you see how Jesus would serve the community. If you see how I manage my money, you've seen what kind of steward Jesus would be. If you've seen how I handle things in marriage, you've seen what it would be like to have Jesus as a spouse. If you've watched me parent my kids, you'd see like what Jesus would be like. Like that is such a powerful statement, but it is the missional standard. Our example is Jesus, and I believe Jesus would want us to say, like Paul, what you see in me is just who Jesus is. Live life like me because I live life like Jesus. It's a powerful and it's a high bar, but it is a standard for healthy spiritual people. Trait number two, I work to serve like Jesus. I work to serve like Jesus. Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you will be your servant. 
If we contrast the no ones standing in the crowd, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, none of them were going to do anything for the broken people of Israel. Jesus, the greatest among them, would be their servant. But it's interesting. I had a mentor several years ago tell me, Christian, ministry 101 is really learning how to serve God. You serve people because you love God. Ministry 201 is really learning how to serve people. But he said at the pinnacle of ministry maturity, ministry 301, he said ministry 301 is learning what not to do that you can do, but you shouldn't do because you're not called to. So explain that to me. He said, I'm going to say something that sounds weird, but I want you to process it with me. He said, Jesus did not do everything that he could do when he was on earth, but he did everything he was called to do. He said, think about John 5. Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of lame people laying around. Jesus heals one and walks out. Could he have not healed them all? Jesus didn't do everything he could do, but he, was, but he did everything he was called to do. And in one of his last recorded prayers, he says in John 17, 4 to God, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I did everything you called me to do. Do you believe you can at the end of your life one day stand before God and say, I didn't do everything because I couldn't do everything, but I did everything you created me to do and called me to do? Do you even know what you've been created to do or called to do? Are you a healthy spiritual person who is serving the work that God created you to do and called you to do. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in his last letter to Timothy, who he was discipling. He said, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished my race, kept the faith. Timothy didn't do everything, but I did everything God called me to do. I can stand before God and say, I know why you created me and what you called me to do, and I've spent my life doing that. Ephesians 2.10, by the way, says that God has created you and called you to do something specific. You're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You hear us every week on this stage say, growth track, growth track, growth track, growth track. If you're in here today and you say, I don't know what God has created me to do, so I cannot know what God has called me to do, you need to go to growth track. Because at the end of four weeks, you'll understand how you were created. You'll understand a little bit about what you're being called to do. And you'll realize you can do a lot of things. But the only thing that matters most is doing what God created you to do. Healthy spiritual leaders, they serve like Jesus. They know their mission. They serve their mission. They finish their mission. And then trait number three, healthy spiritual leaders and healthy spiritual people, they always choose humility. They always choose humility. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. C.S. Lewis is known to have said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But C.S. Lewis did not say that. Uh, Rick Warren did, who was a pastor at Saddleback Church in California. He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, and on day 19, where he talked about the importance of living for other people, not yourself, he talked about how much C.S. Lewis' writing on humility impacted him, and then as only Rick Warren could do, he was given Twitter statements before there was Twitter. He boiled it down to a sentence. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just um, thinking of yourself less. What Lewis actually said about the humble person in mere Christianity was this. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. 
He won't be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's just a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in you. And if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy others so easily. He won't be thinking about humility. He won't be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step, and that's this. The first step is to realize that one is proud, and that's a big first step. At least I don't know anything that can be done before it. If you think you're not conceited, it probably means you are very conceited indeed. Lewis says, how do you begin to get humble? You realize that you are prideful and you make almost every decision in life for your benefit. And once you've acknowledged that and realized that, you can start saying, okay, how can I live for others? How can I gain humility by realizing that I'm not and that most times I make most decisions based on me and then choosing like Jesus, that is not the way I'm going to live my life. As we close, I find in today two opposing and very ironic principles about healthy spiritual living. And here they are. Principle number one is this, the focus of a healthy spiritual life will simply never be about you and what you can get from it. Principle number two is this, the outcome of a healthy spiritual life will always benefit you more than it will the people you serve. They are opposing views that are ironic but true. Healthy spiritual leadership never thinks what's in it for me. Healthy spiritual living always benefits you. Opposing ironic principles that are true. Two pictures today. Unhealthy, healthy. Unhealthy spiritual leadership in lives, those live for yourself. Healthy spiritual leaderships in lives, those lived for Jesus and others. So let me get back to moms and grandmas. Maxwell says, moms, know the way, go the way, show the way. We've been studying in our Bible reading this year about King David of Israel. Phenomenal story, killed a giant, became a military general, eventually went from being a seventh of seven sons, shepherd in the fields to the king of God's people, Israel. Some of you know a little bit about his life story. For those of you who do, um, we know David's dad's name. His dad's name is what, for those of you who know it? His name's Jesse, like Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazard. Jesse. Now you, now you won't forget. You're welcome. Um, what's David's mom's name? Anybody? It's not found in the Bible. We know nothing about Jesse spiritually. Don't know if he loved God, didn't love God. We know nothing about Jesse spiritually, but we know his name. We don't know David's mom's name, but we know some things about her spiritually. Because in Psalm 86, 16, David said, turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. If David's mom was like him, I know a lot about her spiritually. And he said, she wasn't like me, I'm like her. Later, another psalmist in Israel would say the same thing. Psalm 116, 16, truly I'm your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. Question of the day, 
moms, grandmas, if we all get to write that statement before we die, I serve God like my mom did. What's that mean about how your kids and grandkids serve God? See, we may not know all your names, but when we look at healthy or unhealthy people, a lot of times it says a lot about who's raising them. As you process that, what is God saying to your heart and what acknowledgement or step do you need to take? We always close our service the exact same way. Um, Instead of me just praying for you, we put some reflection questions on the screen. They'll each be up for a minute. There are three questions that hopefully will trigger some thought and response from what you've heard. And your response is something we hope you'll turn into a prayer. So question and then your answer. And then take your answer to God in prayer. And by that time, another question will be rolling. And at the end of three minutes, I'll come up and close this in prayer. But what has God said to your heart today? Healthy or unhealthy? And what do you need to do maybe to drop a couple unhealthy traits? Maybe grab one healthy trait to make it a better week, month, year moving forward than it's been looking backwards. God, as we reflect on these questions, open our hearts, open our minds and our spirits to a time of prayer. Speak to us in Jesus' name, amen.